Chair staff is ready when you are. Great, thank you. We have the commissioners uh, on video. All right, I will uh, call to order the August 18th, 2021 meeting of the Preservation Commission. Welcome everyone, it has been a while. Uh, so we thought, uh, given that it has been a little while, we would go ahead and start with our uh, a reminder of the powers and duties of the Preservation Commission. Um, so we are here to uh, recommend to the Council policies and programs in support of historic preservation, including the goals and policies for the general plan and updates of the preservation programs, uh, also the, to evaluate and provide comments or recommendations on proposed plans, public and private development projects, and environmental reviews that are not subject to review under uh, this chapter, but that potentially affect physical development and historical preservation of the city. Uh, and also uh, mention we assume the duties assigned by the council pursuant to the certified local government provisions of the National Historic Preservation Act. So a few reminders, given that we're in a new uh, webinar kind of set up here as well, for staff commissioners, applicants, or appellants uh, that are logged into the meeting, please remember to mute yourself except when you're speaking. Uh, for members of the public tuning in, in addition to submitting e-comments on the website, you have the option to join the Zoom meeting from the link on the meeting agenda. Um, members of the public participating via Zoom, if you'd like to speak on an agenda item, please use the Zoom raise your hand feature when the item begins in order to be uh, able to provide that public comment. You'll be, the clerk will call on you and allow you to speak. You will have three minutes to address the commission. And if you go over, the clerk will let you know to make your final comment and then you'll be muted. Uh, and there's more information on tonight's agenda about how to do the raise your hand feature if you have questions. And uh, if you need to also speak on a subsequent item, you will need to raise your hand again when that item is up. Uh, so we will move on with our agenda. There are no modifications to it. So Chair, uh, so may, I, Chair may, I sure. may I call roll to establish a quorum? Yes. Thank you. Commissioner Carter? Present. Commissioner Lemon. Here. Commissioner Miller. I'm here. Commissioner Whitelum. Myself here. Thank you. Vice Chair Miller Cruces will be absent this evening and Chair Valenia. Here. You have a quorum. Thank you. Uh, so there is one item on the consent calendar, item one, to approval of the April 21st, 2021 minutes. Do I have any comments on them or can I have a motion? Um, I, I move to approve the minutes. Thank you. A second? Second the motion. Thank you. Uh, will the clerk please call the roll? Thank you. I have a motion by um, Commissioner Whitlam, second by Miller. It's Commissioner Carter. Yes. Commissioner Lemon. Yes. Commissioner Miller. Yes. Commissioner Whitlam. Yes. And Chair Valenia. Yes. 
motion passes. Thank you. So item two on the agenda is uh, the ordinance listing 2681 Montgomery Way as a landmark on the Sacramento Register of Historic and Cultural Resources. Uh, this is a public hearing, so I will now open the public hearing and we will have a presentation by staff. Thank you, Chair Valanya. I'm pleased to present this item as your uh, new preservation director, Sean DeCourcy. I'm going to share my screen so you can see a few slides. I can. There you are. Okay. <clears throat> Again, I'm pleased to present the landmark nomination for 2681 Montgomery Way. This residence and neighborhood is associated with the National Better Homes Movement of the 1920s, a campaign of home ownership, modernization, and beautification that grew from a critical shortage of homes in the years following World War I. The Chin Havim House was constructed in a Spanish colonial revival style, which was very popular in Sacramento during the 1920s to 1940s period, along with other revival styles. For these reasons, the property is associated with events that have made a significant contribution to the broad patterns of the history of the city, making it eligible under city code criteria one. <coughs> Chin Havim House is a good example of the Spanish colonial revival architectural style the property is designed uh, <clears throat> from a prominent Sacramento architectural firm, James and J Charles and James Dean, whose quality work is widely represented and acknowledged in the community. They designed a number of important residences in South Curtis Oaks in East Sacramento, Memorial Auditorium. Their residential designs appeared in feature articles in the Architect and Engineer magazine in 1922 and 1927 were also featured in a pattern book published by the influential house and garden magazine the property spanish colonial revival designed by dean and dean justified it for listing in the sacramento register under both criteria three and four um, please note the commission is tasked with making a finding related to the significant features and characteristic of this building Staff has recommended those features as arched windows and doors, rough textured plaster, tile roof, decorative chimney, and a recessed attic bed. You may add or modify to these significant features and characteristics as you see fit. This nomination was commissioned and is supported by the property owner. Staff has not received any comments opposed to this nomination. Note, there's a discussion ongoing in the neighborhood regarding a historic survey prepared by historic environment consultants who also evaluated this property. But this nomination is for the individual building at 2681 Montgomery Way and is not associated with the larger district discussion. This concludes my presentation and I'm available to answer any questions you may have. I will note that the property owners and the historic consultants are in the audience tonight, but to my knowledge, do not have a formal presentation prepared. Great, thank you. Are there any questions from the commission? Okay. Uh, 
Any discussion? So the, uh, as uh, Director DeCourcy mentioned, uh, part of our task is to consider that list of character defining features that uh, were listed and uh, those will be part of the motion and added to the ordinance, which goes to council for this. So um, that list again was the arched windows and doors, uh, the rough textured plaster, the tile roof, the decorative chimney and the recessed attic vent. Uh, so I think that within the umbrella of Spanish colonial revival that that is uh, appropriate for what um, that uh, public view uh, really encompasses. So with that, uh, do I have a motion? Um, it's a public hearing. So are there any public yeah. comments? Or is that not appropriate to ask for? This would be if we have any, it'd be great to hear. I have no members of the public signed up to speak. Thank you. Um, then, then I'm, you know, I'm certainly I'm familiar with Dean and Dean and if the owner's support of it and the, the you know, preservation architects who are on the commission uh, support it um, and staff, I'll, I'll move to place it on the uh, register. Thank you. And do I have a second? This would be, uh, the motion is staff's recommendation. Right. I will second the motion. Thank you. Have a roll call, please. Thank you. I have a motion by Commissioner Whitlam and a second by Commissioner Miller. Commissioner Carter. I'm yes. Sorry. This is Courtney. I'm sorry to interrupt. So the motion is to move staff rec recommendation plus the significant features and characteristics identified by Sean. Correct. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Burdick. Um, Commissioner Lemon. Yes. Commissioner Miller? Yes. Commissioner Whitelum? Yes. And Chair Valenia? Yes. The motion passes. Great. Thank you. We'll move on to item three, which is also a public hearing the ordinance listing 2131 to 2132 Q Street as a landmark on the Sacramento Register of Historic and Cultural resources. Um, I will this back to Director DeCourcy to present. You are muted. Thank you. Again, I'm sharing my screen so you can see that uh, that slide. So <laughs> This presentation will be a little bit um, more detailed and, and uh, provide some more information because this nomination is a little bit different than the typical nominations that we hear at the commission. Um, this, uh, so I'll start with this with a little bit of background about how this commission or how this nomination came to us. So this, unlike the previous nomination, this nomination started as a pre-application. So a project proponent, um, the, I'll refer to them as the owners or the ownership group, 
came to us with a proposal to develop this site and demolish the building on it. Now, as you may be aware, the city of Sacramento evaluates all buildings of 50 years old or older as required under our code. And we requested that the ownership group, the developers, retain a historic consultant to prepare a historic evaluation. The owners retain the services of historic resource associates, a uh, qualified professional uh, preservation and archeological consulting firm. And I'll refer to their analysis that was prepared as the consultant's analysis or the, or the, um, the owner's consultant's analysis. So the owner's consultants submitted the evaluation to the city. We reviewed it and as is common practice, circulated it to key stakeholders in the community. This included Preservation Sacramento, Sacramento Modern, the Sacramento Art Deco Society, among other interest groups and individuals. Um, of these, of this, this routing, as we call it, um, we received comments, which are attached to your staff report, from Preservation Sacramento, Sacramento Modern, and the Sacramento Art Deco Society. The preservation director at the time, Director Anderson, um, well, I should note, the, the letters that we received from Preservation Sacramento, Sacramento Modern, and the Sacramento Art Deco Society noted significant issues with the owner's consultant's analysis, specifically relating to the criteria for significance that were discussed by the consultants, and also with the overemphasis on historic integrity um, and the, the alterations to the building's interior. So the, the acting or the director at the time, Director Anderson, reviewed this record, both the consultant's report and the letters submitted by Preservation Sacramento, Sacramento Modern, and the Art Deco Society. Mr. LaCourcy, may I interrupt? Yes? Are you intended to be sharing your screen? Yes, I am. We aren't seeing am it. I not, am I not sharing my screen? No, we aren't seeing it. Sorry about that. Well, I've only I've only had one slide up, so you'll get caught up quickly. Perfect. I thought we'd catch you soon enough. Okay. Now we can see it. Thank um, you. Okay, terrific. Thank you for that. So um, the preservation director made a preliminary determination as is required under our code. And this preliminary determination agreed with Preservation Sacramento, Sacramento Modern, and the Art Deco Society that the historic consultants had overemphasized the alterations to the building and, and the impacts to historic integrity and underemphasized the building's historic and particularly cultural significance to the historical themes identified in the report. So to clarify the record, Preservation Director Anderson directed his staff, myself at the time, and our uh, preservation intern, Lena Filber, to prepare a historic analysis of our own that explored both historic significance and historic integrity in greater detail. That is also attached to your staff report. The, the director uh, requested for this item to be brought to a director hearing, so a statement of nomination could be reviewed under the code as is, uh, as is required. The, and at the, by this time, Preservation Director Anderson had retired, and so Acting uh, Preservation Director and Urban Design Manager uh, Bruce Monaghan 
reviewed the nomination at a preservation director hearing, agreed with the staff analysis, and forwarded a recommendation to the commission, which brings us uh, to your deliberations today. I wanna note the owner objected to the listing of the property at the preservation director hearing and continues to object to the landmark nomination um, on, on several grounds. These are the consultant's report that I mentioned earlier, specifically issues of historic integrity that the consultant goes into detail on. The classification of the site as an opportunity site under the central city specific plan and what that means um, and, and what it doesn't. And then the notion that the historic designation will prevent the construction of housing on this site and worsen the housing crisis in the city. So I'd like to address those, um, and I'm going to get into historic integrity in greater detail later in the analysis, but I, I will just note that the consultants identified alterations to the building, primarily on the interior and several on the exterior. However, as you'll see, this building continues to retain sufficient historic integrity according to the guidelines and standards established by the federal government and our city code. Next, this notion of opportunity sites. So we reviewed the central city specific plan regarding this issue and spoke with our staff about the background of the opportunity sites. And we noted that section 4.2.1 of the central city specific plan clearly states that future development projects within the specific plan area are subject to review and approval of subsequent permits, entitlements by the city of Sacramento. This includes potentially eligible historic buildings. And in fact, we identified several opportunity sites that contain both listed historic buildings and potentially eligible historic resources. Um, and so the notion that the identification of an opportunity site means that a uh, historic resource is not present uh, is, is actually not accurate. And the last item, the, the concept that designation would prevent housing from being developed on this site. Um, I'm, I'd, I wanna be clear here that I'm not going to go into any detail about the proposed project. We simply don't have any detail about the proposed project, but moreover, the project itself is not up for review. Your task tonight is to review the eligibility of this building for listing on the register under the criteria and considerations in our code. But I think it's relevant to the discussion because there have been several comments submitted um, both by the owner and members of the public that have um, discussed this concept of that designation would prevent housing. So I just refer you to the aerial photograph. The majority of this site is occupied by surface parking lots. This is a common configuration in the central city um, and throughout the city that we have a commercial building on a corner, corner of a parcel, much larger parcel occupied by a parking lot. We see proposals all the time to develop um, all sorts of projects on sites like this. And if the building is historic um, or not, or just um, a valuable piece of, of the overall project, um, the de a developer may incorporate this into their project site plan. Um, designation does not prohibit this. It, uh, uh, we encourage adaptive reuse. We've seen creative projects. We have a project um, right now in the South Side Historic District 
that's on a nearly identical configuration. It's a listed contributing resource to that district and the developer is developing multifamily housing on the parking lot while preserving and restoring the coffee shop that's on the corner. So just to address those up front, and now my next several slides are gonna focus on the building's significance and, the, and then we'll, um, I'll, I'll get into historic integrity in greater detail, as I mentioned. <clears throat> criteria one is perhaps the most important significance criteria as it relates to this building. This was not discussed in great detail in the consultant's report, so staff conducted a fair amount of additional research to, to really understand this criteria and how this building contributes to the historic context that it represents. So the Beehive Building represents a period in the 1950s and early 60s when women played a vital role in society and were often engaged in important social activism. These groups inspired movements that led to immense social change in the late 1960s and early 1970s. In Sacramento, at this time, women were working as volunteers to open libraries and poor school districts, to make people conscious about the danger of nuclear weapons, to organize museum visits for school groups, and siding with black anti-segregationist groups or joining the civil rights movement. Eleanor McClatchy, you see here at the center of your screen, was the matriarch of the Sacramento Bee and the McClatchy Company during this period. She bridged the world between housewife and the emerging professional activist classes of the post-war period. It was in this spirit and historical moment that she commissioned the Beehive Building. The building represents the physical embodiment of Eleanor McClatchy's idea to bring together women of this period and help them become better wives and mothers and also provide them a place to network and construct support systems that can make their lives more meaningful. For this reason, the Beehive Building is associated with events that have made a significant contribution to the broad patterns of women's activism and civil rights, making it eligible under Criteria 1. Next to design. The design of this building is an exaggerated modern commercial building with Googie style elements. This type of architecture developed during a time of technological innovation, space travel, and post-World War II cultural obsession with the automobile. During the 1950s, the American public became fascinated with space travel as the Cold War became a race to space with the Soviet Union. New buildings such as this were constructed throughout the country during this period. And they reflected the futuristic design inspired by the period Use of new building materials and unusual shapes were characteristic of this design style. The Beehive building has significant features that help define its architectural period, including the exaggerated canopy supported by thin, simple columns and smooth redwood siding. The cement block cladding, unique fenestration pattern, and single-story massing for these reasons, the Beehive Building embodies the distinctive characteristics of a type, period, or method of construction, making it eligible under City Code Criteria 3. Again, like the last nomination, please note the Commission must determine the significant features and characteristics for this building 
which staff recommends is the exaggerated canopy supported by thin, simple columns, the smooth redwood siding, cement block, unique fenestration pattern along Q Street, and the single story massing. So please consider this list and include these and any others as part of your motion tonight. In the 1940s, Eleanor McClatchy directed the planning and construction of the new Sacramento Bee headquarters building across the street, followed by the Beehive building at 2131 Q Street. The Beehive building was a collaborative design by Cox and Whiskey as the principal architects, along with Dunbar Beck and Robert W. King acting as the designers for the interior. Liskey was informed by his time at Lawrence Hall and the renowned architect and educator, W.R.B. Wilcox. Cox graduated from the University of Oregon's architecture program in 1948 and spent 30 years with Cox, Liskey, and later Lyonakis and Beaumont architects and engineers, a firm he co-founded in Sacramento. The firm grew to be one of the largest in Northern California, employing more than 30 architects and engineers and producing 30 to $40 million in annual construction volume at the time. For these reasons, the Beehive Building represents the work of an important creative individual or master, making it eligible under city code criteria four. <clears throat> now on to historic integrity. And I want to remind you, historic, uh, a historic property must retain both significance and historic integrity in order to qualify as a historical resource. Integrity is defined as the ability of a property to convey its historic significance. So integrity cannot be evaluated without first understanding why a building is important. There are seven qualities used to define historic integrity. Location, design, setting, materials, workmanship, feeling, and association. Integrity can appear in the form of a physical appearance, such as the materials used to construct the building, or it could be in the form of perception, such as how the building is associated with its corresponding historical event or person. If a property retains historic integrity, it will usually retain several, if not all, aspects of historic integrity. Tension of a specific aspect of integrity is paramount for a property to convey its historic significance. Much of this is from the National Park Service guidelines on evaluating historic integrity. Determining which of these aspects are most important requires knowing why, where, and when the property is significant. Well, the consultant's historic evaluation correctly points to several modifications to the building, including the addition on the north, uh, modifications to the interior and modifications to the roof, the report does not attempt to clearly identify why the building is significant for the reasons that I have just outlined above. And therefore, therefore, this does not, the, their report does not adequately address if the property retains enough integrity to convey these themes that make it significant. Staff's analysis, on the other hand, first clearly defines the property's historic significance and then steps through each aspect of historic integrity to include that despite the modifications identified by the consultant, the property retains sufficient integrity to convey its significance under the criteria of events, design, and the work of a master. <coughs> As I mentioned in my introduction, 
a number of comments have been submitted both in favor and opposed to the landmark proposal for the Beehive Building. While we're not going to discuss the future project tonight, staff disagrees with the assertion by some commenters that the landmark designation would pre prevent residential mixed use or commercial development on this parcel, which is mostly occupied again by a surface parking lot. There are many examples in Sacramento of similar historic buildings being incorporated in creative site designs and used in a variety of ways while preserving the important aspects of the city's history such as Eleanor McClatchy and her role in creating a place for women's networking and activism during the 50s and 60s. With that in mind, staff recommends the Preservation Commission review this record and move staff recommendation with the significant features and characteristics identified to elevate the landmark proposal to the City Council for consideration. The owner is present tonight and would like to make a few brief statements. Um, following my presentation. And with that, I'll conclude and turn it back to the chair. Thank you. Uh, do any commissioners have any uh, brief questions before we go to the uh, owner? Um, no, but I might have questions after we hear from the owner, so. Certainly, certainly. Okay, great. Then we will turn it over to the uh, uh, team to present. I'm not sure who I'm going to exactly. Uh, my name is Christian Charbonne. I'm with the owner. I could, I guess, I can go. Sure, that sounds great. Yes. Good evening, Commission. Um, Thanks for this agenda item. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak. Um, and uh, thank you, Sean, for the presentation. We um, are, are still in objection to um, the nomination. Um, we haven't really identified, it, and maybe um, staff at the city has, uh, any specific market information, specific to Midtown, um, which uh, would suggest that this would be an adequate, uh, that the Beehive Building would serve um, as a part of an adaptive reuse project. So, um, you know, we can continue to look for that. I just haven't seen anything specific um, to date. So I, I, we're, we're still on the hunt for that information. Um, it's part one. Um, Part two, uh, it's our understanding that the Central City specific plan for this site uh, that's being, that there's a project being proposed on um, calls for more than 60 units of housing to be placed there. Um, so we're, we would have, I think anyone would have trouble sort of merging the business needs or the, the requirements of one's business um, to bring a market-based project to market, marrying up the 60 plus unit number, and then utilizing the building as is on site. So that's another challenge that's, that's there and associated with this. Um, and then lastly, um, it's more of a, I, I guess I need some clarification on, on our part. Um, 
one of the, the some of the findings that can be made to bring a nomination forth, as I understand it, don't necessarily just have to do with uh, a building's architectural integrity or the structure itself. It also has to do with uh, the placemaking, the, the memories, the purposing, and the reasoning behind um, why it came to be, as I understand it. And then that that can be uh, enough uh, for a nomination. But yet in a, in a letter from Preservation Sacramento, um, they stated, and, and I quote, listed buildings are primarily regulated based on their quote, exterior ex appearance rather than interior. There's potential for alteration of the building interior and secondary facades to facilitate reuse. This also applies to the auditorium where minor interior alterations, including removal of furniture were made. So I guess I'm trying to understand um, what, what then is the, is, is the commission's position on nominations? Is it primarily based on placemaking and, and memory and intent, or is it primarily architecture? How is it weighted either way? Um, just so we get a better understanding. Um, Commissioner uh, or Chair Villania, I, I can, I, can I, I can be heard, right? I, okay. New system is crazy. Um, I, I have a couple of questions. I guess first for the owner. Uh, in our packet, we have a letter from someone named Brian Rupp who's uh, of shop off realty investments from, uh, I don't know where he's from. I don't think he's local, but um, he indicates he's the owner. Are you a part of shop off realty? Yeah, I just so I am. So I am the development manager over the project um, that, yes, so Brian runs real estate for both acquisitions and development for the entire company. We are not, the office that we run is not local, it's based in Irvine in Southern California. Okay. Um, so operations for the SACP um, are run out of our office locally down here. So I don't are believe, you- I don't believe Brian's on um, tonight. So, so I just found another letter from the, you know, we always get a big stack of stuff we have to look at. So if I'm kind of, you know, ferreting through things, you know, bear with me. I, I just found another, uh, you know, letter, I guess, from your historic consultant to you. You are with 2100 Q Street owner LLC. So the LLC is something that's been created by Shop Off Realty, just so I understand. That's correct. So so shop off realty investments or SRI doesn't actually own properties. We create entities, owner entities of the properties as most developers do. Okay, and so, and that's for liability reasons. And I, 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 I to limit exposure, I, I get that. Correct. Um, the question that I have, and you know, some of your questions about just what the commission looks at. Um, 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 first, when, you, when we're describing 60 units and why you were looking for the site and um, opportunity sites and um, 
the opportunity side in the central city plan, is it restricted to this parcel or does it include the rest of the half block? It should, it should include the rest of the rest of the property. Um, so, so maybe staff can answer that question for me. In the central city, in the central city specific plan listing on the opportunity sites, um, and maybe Sean, you can answer this or Bruce or somebody can answer this or someone from long range if they're there. Does it, the opportunity site is shown as the half block site, which has some other things on the half block. And then it also includes this building. Am, am I correct in getting an understanding? What's... Uh... Yes, that's correct. The, the... Opportunity sites are not necessarily limited to a single parcel. They can bridge okay. multiple, multiple parcels. And so I guess my one of the questions, oh, the other question I have is how long has Shop Off Realty owned this site or the LLC owned this site? So um, we, we took this, this predates my tenure with the company, but we, 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 we took this property over its ownership positions uh, in 2017. Okay, in uh, 2017. So it was after, I'm forgetting when we adopted the central city plan. Um, does anybody, specific plan, does anybody? Yes, it was in, um, it was in, uh, either, I believe it was late 2017, possibly early 2018. 20, some, so Plus, about, the, about the same time that, that that we passed the central city specific plan, we um, that's about when they bought the site. So those things kind of happen like at the same time, right? I guess. Yes, I, that that sounds correct. Okay, but but our planning, but but our planning and development code, which is you know Title Seventeen, it's been in place substantively. I know that there's been amendments. But it's been substantively in place, at least with the sections dealing with historic properties and potential historic properties since 2013, right? That's correct. October okay. 2013. Right. And to my memory, I mean, I don't spend every evening reading the codes because why would I do that? But, but to my memory, there is and you need, correct me staff if I'm wrong, there are sections in our planning and development code that speak to the point that anytime there is a property that is over 50 years old, the city of Sacramento takes a stance, a long-term stance, that it needs to evaluate buildings to see if they should have been listed because, you know, city is of limited resources we can't survey all of our thousands of buildings you know just you know constantly so uh, when actions start may occur on a site the president the you know, the city takes an obligation that if a building is over 50 years old that the city will review to see whether it should have been listed and it's further my understanding that if something potentially could have been listed, that the protections of acting on it are kind of in place until that analysis is com is completed. Is am I generally correct, Bruce? Yeah, that, that's correct. And to to be clear, um, we go through that process hundreds of times a year. 
um, because every application that comes in, regardless of what it is, if it's 50 years old or older, there is a mandated review and a determination required as to not eligible, potentially eligible, or needs more research. Um, and these get signed, reviewed, and signed off literally weekly because of the project applications. So as, as you mentioned, we have a lot of structures out there that are potentially eligible that we haven't identified yet. So the ordinance requires that we review it. And if we think that um, they are potentially eligible um, from that point forward, uh, they are treated as a historic resource until we have determined that they either are or are not. Um, and then if we determine that they are potentially eligible, um, we can move forward with a nomination as the, what has happened in the process here. Right, so somebody contemplating buying a piece of property when the central city specific plan, even though it lists things as opportunity sites, says that you need to consult other things to see what requirements there may be. Mm. If they had looked at title, at title 17, you know, said 17.808.180 site plan and design review, it's specifically, I, I think that's the section that kind of addresses what they're going to be needing to go through, or there is a section somewhere in the historic section yeah. that says if something's over 50 years old, we're going to be looking at it. So um, I guess that's, you know, I, I sympathize with purchasing something thinking you think you can do something with it, but I think there's also do, you know, a matter of there's due diligence on the owner's part or prospective owner's part. And there's due diligence on the city's part that when something comes in that we have processes that we are, we are required to, to follow. And I think, you know, you know, the city of Sacramento, you know, Christian, if you're not, you know, and spent a lot of time in the city of Sacramento in the central city, and I've spent over 50 years of my life working on trying to rebuild this, this, this city. The city takes a very, um, a very conscientious view at, at, of, of, its, of, of, its, of its properties because it's important, the authenticity of a place is important. And it, I'm not saying that you end up preserving every old building, but the city of Sacramento has not only a longstanding practice, but a policy that you will consider you if if you're going if you're touching a building that's over 50 years old, you will take the time to know what it is before you proceed with something new. So I'm I'm just explaining this, Christian, in that it's not just whether something is, and I'm an architect, but I'm also a neighborhood builder. I, you know, that that it's not just it's not just whether something, whether you agree or like the architecture of a place, or it's the blend of both of both what the place was in history and in the architecture. So it's to regard to your question, it's it's both. And I think that's why when you submitted a your I guess you have not since 
since uh, Sean indicated he. Uh, I'm, I'll I'm sorry, I'm going into, I'm going into comment. I'll pause you there. We actually, we do have a couple other people from the ownership with their hands raised. So I'll pass it. Okay. That's fine. I apologize. It's hard for me to control myself. So I will, I will be quiet if you want to, if there's well, other questions. We'll hear from the rest I of was them. trying to answer Christian's question in a way. And I I should did, you did, you did. Thank, Thank you for the clarification on, on certainly the code process. Yes. Yeah. Hello, all. Um, can you all hear me fine? Great. Um, my name is Wesley Sagewalker. Um, I'm part of a development group that is working with Shopoff um, to be able to develop this site. So the actual project proposal is coming from my group, Gateway Development Company. Um, really appreciate your time tonight, the consideration that the commission has given, the work and the consideration the staff has given. Um, uh, particularly applaud um, uh, Mr. DeCourcy. He's uh, been very helpful in answering any questions that we have um, and just providing us a clear understanding of um, the staff's process. Um, we are, uh, since we are um, presenting the project, um, we are, as you uh, may have inferred, um, in favor of, uh, or rather, uh, opposed to the nomination of this building. Um, I think it's important to reference the original building um, that was provided in your packet, uh, illustration and photos of it. Um, I think in particular, including its interior, uh, interior rather materials and aesthetic. Um, so as mentioned um, in the historic reports that were conducted by um, the uh, ownership consultants as well as, this, as the city, um, the design was done by Cox and Lisk, um, with the interior being done by Beck and King. Uh, Dunbar Beck is particularly called out um, as a uh, reason for the um, significance of this building. Um, however, um, as mentioned by the historic analysis and which I witnessed firsthand, the interior elements are gone in this building. Um, Therefore, I think that less weight should be given to consideration of Beck as an architect on this project, um, given that the work of Dunbar Beck in this project is not present. Um, the interior elements are gone, uh, coming from the additions, remodels, and use that this building has seen over the decades. Notably, I would call your attention to the covering of the interior patio which comprised more than a third of the original building um, with a raised roof, um, which converted it to a multi-purpose space. Um, this also includes a 1974 addition, which demolished the north and east elevation walls, which removed the red wood paneling for stucco. Um, so I think if we are talking about materiality, uh, the loss of a significant portion of the redwood uh, paneling should be taken into consideration in addition to the rather radical transformation of the space uh, via the interior patio. The roof covering the exterior veranda on the south side is gone um, with only this skeletal pole frame. Um, this represents about a third of the original roof line um, that you can see. The raised roof from the covered patio uh, also juts above the original roof line and disrupts the aesthetic. 
um, as you will see from the photos uh, from the south facing view, or rather viewing the south uh, facade. Um, what is left relatively intact from the original building is the auditorium and the south facing facade and about two thirds of the original roof line. The auditorium is a windowless rectangle of masonry blocks. I know that on one of the, the slides that this was uh, material that was called out uh, for your consideration um, as a, an important element uh, to be considered in this designation. Um, I, this is, in my view, a structure without aesthetic value or craftsmanship in its construction, uh, particularly this auditorium. Um, it's a dark concrete box and um, there uh, is very little craftsmanship shown in the construction of the auditorium in particular. The interior of the building is also dark and it is substantially degraded. This is a space that was repurposed and redesigned many times for functional purposes. It was built to foster human flourishing and it served that purpose, which the reports have noted but it is now a serious obstacle to the next chapter of human flourishing at this location. And um, as somebody who is going through the um, numbers of how to actually develop this, this is, this is not a concern that I think is being given sufficient uh, weight, noting that of course, that is not your decision today. Um, we have a project proposal for 41 townhomes that will create much needed housing in Sacramento it's being designed by one of the best architects in Sacramento, Sarah Ellis, and will create product that Sacramento can be proud of for decades. Due to the reasons I've specified, I believe that this building is severely degraded and merits further consideration um, of its defects and flaws. I believe that in some of the descriptions that it was uh, in, some time, in some ways minimized, the extent of the degrade degradation particularly with respect to its interior, its materiality, its original design and aesthetic, as well as the work of one of its major um, architects. Um, I ask that you recommend it not be listed as a historic res uh, resource, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, do we have uh, Daniel Pura as well? Are you, would you like to? Yes, I would. Hey, thanks so much for uh, giving me the opportunity to speak. I am Wesley Sage Walker, the guy I just spoke. I'm, I'm his business partner with Gateway Development Company. We are a local development firm. In fact, I live at Q19, only two blocks away from the site. We are proposing the 41 townhomes. I just wanted to clarify the comment made about the, the project, whether it has been submitted or not. So we have exterior renderings, floor plans. We have a tentative map. We're actually ready to submit, but um, the reason why we have it is because we're, we're kind of waiting to see what preservation is going to do on it because it directly impacts what we can do on the site. However, uh, the project itself is ready and ready to be submitted once preservation has, has kind of, has, once it's been sorted through preservation. I wanted to comment really on the integrity of the building. I've been inside it many times. I largely agree with the report from Dana from the Historic Resource Associates. I think that the particular, the design materials and workmanship of the building have been compromised. Really particular with the interior, I mean, there's three main parts of it. You have the auditorium, you had the two kitchens at one point, and then you had the large open air patio, which in particular I think was a key part of, of Beck's artistic expression. The large open air patios have been filled in, as has been stated. 
the auditorium has been has been redesigned to the extent that it no longer retains any of its of its artistic expression from the 50s and the two kitchens one of them has been removed and the other one that remains is functionally a tiny little office kitchen it no longer is, is suitable for home economics courses i also mentioned that the, the the northern as well as the eastern facades have been changed significantly not just with the 1974 edition but with the redwood siding that has been removed I believe that there are better ways of honoring what happened on that property with Ellen McClatchy and, and, and Beck. And I think actually when Preservation Sacramento submitted their letter, they listed a few of them, notably the painted ladies across the street that I believe would be a, a great way of, of restoring a historical property in the area while simultaneously allowing much needed housing to go through. So I appreciate your guys' time tonight and thanks so much. Thank you. So I believe that's everyone from the ownership that uh, was on to speak. So I'd like to open it to the public comments now. I believe we have a few people who would like to speak. So I'll turn it over to the clerk. Thank you, Madam Chair. The first speaker is William Berg. Hello, my name is William Berg. I'm president of the Board of Directors of Preservation Sacramento, and we sent a letter in support of listing 2131 Q Street. We feel that the consultant's report was insufficient, and staff's analysis does demonstrate the property has both significance for its architecture and for events that took place there, and sufficient historic integrity. Despite changes to the interior and modifications of secondary facades, the property has sufficient not perfect, but sufficient historic integrity to convey its significance in the way it looks. And it, uh, despite the fact that, well, it's a 60-year-old building, and 60-year-old buildings are not necessarily going to look the way they were the day they were built. Now, uh, the nomination does not include the parking lot. Now, if any of you know me, you know I, I love historic buildings. I don't like parking lots, and if this had, if the nomination had included the parking lot as what it's what this nomination is protecting, I wouldn't have supported it. In part because I live in the neighborhood and I would love to see housing there, which of course is outside the the commission's purview. But listing this building does not prohibit housing both on the parking lot, on the adjacent lot, and the other building, which would be demoed, but also within this building. And I really encourage the development group to take a look at R Street, specifically the corner of 11th and R, where there are multiple former commercial, former industrial buildings, historic buildings that have been converted to residential use, both with housing inside the historic building, drastically reorienting and re, re doing the interior in order to make room for housing, but also adding new housing directly adjacent to it and turning what had been a parking lot into housing space. So I really hope that this discussion will spur the creativity and ingeniousness of the marketing the, of the, the developer group and also unlock some potential ways to make it happen, such as if this is a historic building, they can apply for the Mills Act as a potential incentive. And the state of California just approved millions of dollars for state historic rehabilitation tax credits, including the federal tax credits uh, in addition to. So they have the tools at their disposal. And it sounds like they were proposing 41 units on the site. Uh, another person who spoke mentioned that the city had proposed a minimum of 60 units on the site, but I don't believe that's the case. It's really up to the developer to decide how many units should be there. So that 41 units would be acceptable, although a higher intensity would also be 
desirable because we do want housing in our neighborhood. We want more housing in our neighborhood. Like you said, this is my neighborhood we're talking about. And, I, and so I want housing on the parking lots and the historic buildings protected. That is also the position of Preservation Sacramento and our members and members of the community who've spoken in support of this nomination. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Ansel Lundberg. Yeah, hello, good evening, Chair and Commissioners. My name is Ansel Lundberg. Um, I am a co-chair of House Sacramento and a District 5 resident uh, just across the freeway from this uh, site. And a little bit about House Sacramento, since this is our first time speaking to the commission in a while, um, we're a pro-housing group in Sacramento that supports um, affordable, sustainable, and equitable solutions to end our housing shortage. Um, so we're YIMBYs, um, which stands for Yes in My Backyard. Uh, I wanted to say quickly, welcome to new, uh, the new Director of Preservation, Mr. DeCourcy, great presentation. Um, and we are calling to oppose the listing of this site on the registry. Um, we sent a letter uh, that said as much, but I just want to say a couple more things. You know, I know, um, I, I did want to comment that generally, how Sacramento is not, uh, we support preservation efforts. We think they've been a force for good in Sacramento for various cultural and historic and social purposes. Um, I think the next item on the agenda is an excellent example of that, the design standards um, to make it easier to build housing in historic districts. Um, but generally, if an owner objects to a listing and the intended use is new housing, that's kind of our criteria to take an interest in a listing. So, um, you know, we've read the staff report and we agree that the his with the report by the Historic Resource Associates that the building has um, been substantially compromised in its integrity, and of course we also understand judging you know the potential for development of a parcel into housing is out of the purview of the commission. Um, you're focused on preservation and and integrity of the building, um, but we believe that listing would be a detriment to new uses on the parcel, such as um, the owner's intent to build new housing. Um, I will concur with the uh, previous speaker, Mr. Berg, that uh, we would also uh, welcome a higher intensity on the parcel um, than the proposal, but, you know, that's not the city's, um, they're not under their power to, to require that at this time. So I really appreciate the chance to comment and uh, please reach out. My contact information is on the letter. So I would love to, uh, Hear from the commission, and um, that concludes my comments. Thank you for comments, Madam Chair. I have no more speakers. Great, thank you. Then I will close the public comment and uh, do I have any questions or uh, comments from the commissioners? I have a question. This is Ryan. Um, maybe one of the rest of you on the commission can help me understand it better. If, if considering an adaptive reuse for the property, um, as they had noted, <clears throat> there's uh, a lack of windows on the auditorium side. And I'm and looking at some of the other faces of the building, too. The windows are kind of clear story style where they're up high. Um, if this was to be adaptively reused as a housing project, 
um, and they needed to put residential units in there that would would that require more windows to be put into the building and and how would that interact with the, um, the historic listing um commissioner miller bruce monaghan um we receive numerous questions requests to consider adaptive reuse in existing buildings um and when we're doing that um we we have a primary criteria which is um, uh, allowing modifications to the building um, that are not impactful on the character defining features, which help give that building a, a new use and a new economic life. Um, since we don't have a proposal in front of us, um, we're talking hypotheticals, um, but there are primary views on that building, um, southwest corner, south side. Um, there's an addition on the uh, Northeast side, which is from the 70s, which is not part of the significance of that building. Uh, so if a proposal came forward to uh, put that into an adaptive reuse that needed modifications and those modifications required modifications to the facade, we would certainly, you know, work with the applicant to make that happen. Um, we don't have anything in front of us, so I can only answer hypothetically, but in previous projects, um, we've allowed new openings in existing buildings, um, modifications to um, uh, structures um, contributing and, and landmark. Um, there was a, a reference to the project in Southside, um, that new project, which provides new housing and retains a, a uh, contributing structure, will have modifications to that structure. And that's well within uh, acceptability uh, relative to Secretary of Interior standards for adaptive reuse. Thank you. And then I had a second part of my question, uh, or it's a different question really, but. Uh, and you mentioned it in your comments there, the, the 1974 addition on the northeast corner, um, is that outside of the, the significance or the listing of the building to where if that were proposed to be demolished and then the, the wall that used to be an exterior wall, which was demolished when they added that addition, if they were to be able to recover that or, or kind of reinstate that, is that an option for development? So the, um, I can address that. The, yeah, please. The, the addition is outside of the period of significance for the building. And so the Secretary of Interior Standards guidelines address this issue and they, they do not object to removing additions that are built outside of the period of significance. And so um, removing that addition in its entirety um, especially now that we have the documentation um, prepared by the consultant, uh, really they, they documented the alterations. And so we have a clear timeline. Uh, it would be fairly straightforward to approve a uh, request like that. Thank you. Um, I, I have a question in terms of what what the uh, for staff and I guess it's uh, uh, we can dialogue since it's in the com comment period, um, not the comment the discussion period by the commission. Um, we from I understand what's before us is whether or not this building meets the qualifications to be listed, 
And the whole question of what else you could do with this site, isn't that somewhat, it seems to me that's somewhat outside of the purview of, of us making a determination on that basis as to whether or not to list the building. You know, when, when I look at the historic, uh, the code that deals with what we're supposed to do, it lists, you know, the requirements we're supposed to look at. And it's, uh, it has to, it basically goes off the checklist that's included on, you know, on the nomination forms, whether, you know, it has historical significance, whether it has integrity, uh, and um, it, the factors it lists that are to be considered is, you know, whether it's still in its original location, um, and, you know, a number of different things like that. It doesn't say that one of the things we should consider as to whether something should be listed or would qualify to be listed is whether now we think that there's something better or for the city that should be on that, on that, on that parcel. So, I, well, while I think, you know, we're all kind of discussing a development project that hasn't been submitted but is ready to be submitted i don't know that that's germane to the decision that we need to make tonight and one of the things that i would appreciate hearing from you know from the members of our commission who are preservation architects or have that kind of a background is 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 how you feel that, or your knowledge i mean whether you whether 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 this building meets, you know, meets that cri criteria. I, and so I would appreciate hearing from, you know, like Alice and, and uh, Commissioner Lemon and if Commissioner Cruz Miller was here, I would I appreciate hearing from her as well. Um, because I have my own, you know, kind of uh, uh, perspective on it, but I, you know, we have those expertises on the commission for a reason. And I do, I, I, I value their expertise. So I'm kind of throwing it to you, Alice and David. I'll let uh, Commissioner Lemon uh, chime in if you would like, but uh, certainly our purview tonight is looking at the eligibility of this building and that is um, whether or not to list it, that is, that is our only um, task at the moment. And so uh, looking at the documentation and what we've uh, seen tonight, uh, it's significant that it is being uh, listed, uh, recommend the recommendation under the three criteria for both events design and the work of a master. And so that in itself, uh, you know, this building carries significance in a lot of different ways. Uh, not just the architecture, not just what happened there, but all of these pieces. Uh, and so that uh, really shows us that this building is significant in Sacramento for multiple reasons, um, which allow you to uh, review it under those different criteria and see that it's the architecture, but it's also what happened there. And that does then allow us to look at the integrity and understand, um, does it give us that feeling and the association with those events, which uh, from what I, from both the documentation and uh, walking the site, it does, uh, I believe, show us both that, that integrity uh, 
And so, and I think the other important piece we've been talking about is the demolition on the interior, what has been removed or modified. And really uh, I, part of our uh, task is also, uh, this is a, from the city's perspective, what can the public see? Uh, you know, nothing requires us to open the building up to the public, but it is a private private parcel, uh, it is a private development. So what uh, what does the exterior look like? What what will, from the public right of way, what is um, representative of this building? And from that perspective, it is quite intact. Um, so I think that, uh, and that's really what we would, you know, in the future want to see preserved as well. And so uh, that I think for me is a, a big part is that that, especially looking at some of those photos that were provided, uh, it's, it's quite similar. Uh, understanding it is 60 years old, but that, that it is quite similar on the exterior from the public right of way. And we know that there have been additions which are outside of that period of significance. And so uh, those are not part of that listing. Um, that 1957 to 1970 window is uh, really the part that is, um, that would be, kind of looked at in the future. Um, and I, I thought that all uh, the list that was provided in the uh, in Director DeCourcy's uh, presentation on the, uh, I think, six uh, character-defining features, the uh, exaggerated canopy, uh, the thin thin columns across, again, that, that um, public view. Uh, I third was the uh, the redwood siding and I don't I'm unclear if there is any extant or if it has whether it's perhaps was just covered by stucco and may still be uh, there or if there is any that is still visible. I think we need to clarify that uh, but certainly the cement block is still uh, extant as is this unique fenestration pattern along Q and um, this single story massing is quite um, quite significant and certainly recognizable even with the infilled roof of the that patio I think this the massing is is still um, quite true to what we see in the historic photos so I think those are the pieces that have stood out for me um, if anyone else has any comments or questions Commissioner Valanya, did you want me to address the redwood siding uh, comment? Great. Yeah, so the, the redwood siding is still present um, on that primary south-facing facade is the majority of it. And then it also um, wraps the building on the on the west side, although it's been it's been broken up by uh, by some new siding, but on the uh, or I'm sorry, on the east side, um, it is it's present. So on both street frontages, the redwood siding still exists. Okay, thank you. Do I have any other commissioner questions or comments? Just David, I I I um I don't have much more to add than um than you did, Chair Bologna. Um, um I do believe the building retains sufficient integrity and um, I, I agree wholeheartedly with the staff report and don't take any issue with, with the conclusions of the report. Okay, thank you. Uh, so uh, without hearing any other questions or discussion, uh, can I have 
a motion and that would be to move the staff recommendation uh, and that list of character defined features or uh, to to not uh, find it eligible so. Well, you know, I'll move the staff recommendation. And I'll, I'll confirm we don't have any other public comment. I believe I closed public comment, but. I think you did. Okay. Thank you. Okay, go ahead, Commissioner Wetlam. So um, I will uh, move the staff recommendation. Is, is that all I need to say, or do I need to add any other words onto that? Uh, staff recommendation and the list of character defining features as presented by staff. Okay. I will do that. Okay. I have yeah. a second. <laughs> do I have a second? I'll second the motion. Thank you. Uh, roll call. Thank you, Madam Chair. I have a motion by um, Commissioner Whitlam and a second by Commissioner Miller. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Lemon? Yes. Commissioner Miller? Yes. Commissioner Whitlam? Yes. And Chair Valinia? Yes. Motion passes. Great, thank you. With that, we will move on to uh, the discussion calendar. Item four, the final draft objective design standards for historic districts projects. And um, believe uh, Director DeCourcy or will you start this? And again, if, you're, uh, if you'd like to do public comment on this, please uh, raise your hand for this particular item. Sure, thank you, Chair Wanya. I'm going to turn this, this item over to Bruce Monaghan, the Urban Design Manager, to make the staff presentation. Thank you, John, um, Chair Valenia, uh, Commissioners. Um, we are back to you for the final um, review of the objective standards uh, for historic districts. And just as, as a little background, um, it's in your report, but I think it's, it's worth saying because it, it frames a couple of other comments. Um, uh, State of California passed SB 35 in 2017, and that was a streamlining process to provide for housing um, that met certain eligibility requirements and conditions. And if they were so met, um, local jurisdictions were required to approve the housing. Um, we um, created a set of objective standards for SB 35 responses, as well as our city administrative uh, processes. Um, but we thought it was necessary after we created the historic district plan to come back and address objective standards in historic districts. And the reason for this is SB 35 um, did not recognize historic districts. They're only um, uh, item that made a project ineligible for an SB 35 process related to historic structures was that a project couldn't demolish a landmark structure. Um, so that left us with the opportunity for SB 35 projects in historic districts um, without guidelines that 
reflected our historic district plan. Now, it's, it's important to recognize that um, projects under SB 35 um, can be as small as two units, um, between two and 10 units. Um, they don't have other requirements of above 10. 10% uh, of them have to be affordable um, income houses and be prevailing wage. Uh, but given the, the general size of lots in historic districts, uh, the concern was the development of, of housing between two and 10 um, under SB 35 process um, without specific objective standards. So uh, tonight we're bringing back to you in this recognition that we have context, context sensitive um, design requirements in, in historic districts. Uh, we have been working on a series of objective standards, which um, you have reviewed previously. And this is the final list, which will be going to um, city council for uh, adoption. Um, we base these objective standards on the historic district plan. And from that historic district plan, which has extremely subjective guidelines, as well as guidances in what we're trying to do, um, and tried to reduce the ones of significance that we could to a, a simple objective standard, the objective standard being a standard known by um, the applicant and the city prior to the submission of a project. In other words, it has to be clear and distinct and, and understood. Um, so when we went back and, and, and went through our um, subjective standards in the historic district plan, there was a recognition there that that process allowed a lot of dialogue with uh, applicants. We could look at their applications, pre-applications. We could have conversations with them. We could answer questions. We could guide them to other solutions. We could work on requiring other, other solutions. But as we move to objective standards, the ordinance that it'll be part of, it's simply yes, no. Here's the requirement, yes, no. Here's another requirement, yes, no. And it doesn't allow for discussion. It doesn't allow for dialogue and it doesn't allow for interpretation. And that becomes the critical difference in what we're doing. So at times in the objective standards, um, we might be looking at slightly more conservative language. Now, we're not allowed to create another or higher standard, but we are able, we're, are able to clarify in objective language what we were suggesting in our subjective language. So um, before you tonight is that um, final draft document um, being uh, put to you in order to, to review. And um, this will move on to um, the city council um, and it will be added to the existing citywide housing design standards. And following the adoption of those standards, um, the staff will incorporate those objective standards into the final application and uh, checklist. Um, that process has started, but it's not part of this particular discussion. Um, the past comments have been taken in. We received comments from stakeholder groups, individuals, um, the, the commission, and we collated all of those and went through and we changed specific language. We also added a, a part two of this, which is a technical appendix 
um, which at um, suggestion of Chair Bologna included a um, uh, explanation of uh, language, a glossary, if you will, as well as a little bit of other rationale behind what you know the process is. Um, so that was done in an attempt to help clarify some of the statements that's being made. The series of comments have, have come in um, mostly today, but over the last few days, and they're, they're generally related to one item. And I, I wanted to take some time to talk about this because um, I, I'm not saying we, we can't change that language or you shouldn't change that language, but I, I think it's important to understand the background of this. Um, the, the concern was related to um, a, a comment in the language um, which had, uh, don't copy um, historic, looking for the exact language, uh, new construction may not copy historic architectural styles. And that comes from a, a concern that's exhibited in the historic district plan. And we have language throughout the historic plan, district plan um, that, that talks about, well, I'll, I'll read it, that new construction should be reflective of its time and be harmonious with existing historic buildings in terms of setting of the site, building massing, architectural character, um, and enhance the surrounding historic fabric. Now, when we went through the historic district plan, we wanted to avoid emulation. And the emulation avoidance was part of the Secretary's interior standards. Um, to um, differentiate enough to prevent duplication of, of historic styles, of, of false historicism, if you will. And within the historic district plan, we're confident with the subjective language in the discussions that we have allowed the opportunity for people to use a variety of styles, whether they, they be modern or they pick up uh, traditional forms. Um, but we were relying on the Secretary of Interior standards to um, allow us to not allow this, this for false historicism. Unfortunately, when we're doing objective standards, we can't reference a document like the Secretary of Interior standards specifically to false historicism. So we're, we're left with a choice when we do this. One is to, in our best language, prohibit um, copying and creating false historicism. Somebody wants to loves Queen Anne and wants to go build a Queen Anne and builds a perfect replica. And if we don't prohibit it, it's allowed. Because if we were silent on the subject, then it's simply a yes, no, yes, they comply. And yet we don't think it's good for the historic district to allow this false historicism. And so absent a mechanism that we have in the historic district plan to mitigate the problems created through false historicism or overt emulation and copying, we were left with a solution which said, don't copy historic styles. Now that doesn't mean that projects can't have references to historic styles, can't be influenced by historic styles, can't have traditional forms, like you know, pitched roofs, ridge lines, gables, dormers, whatever. Um, it doesn't prohibit that. It's just trying to prohibit a, an outright copying. And in the rest of the languages we went through in, on the um, historic district, we provided 
and this is where you know we we lose some control in in the guidelines which are mandatory um we provide some guidance and specific the language you know talks about additions should be of their time and distinguished from resources historic features yet in a not in a manner that distracts from the resource. So we we think we're giving people the right guidance, but we are concerned when it comes down to that checklist, yes or no, whether or not we have done the right thing relative to um, avoid uh, a false historicism opportunity. And that's why we were specific to that. Um, I, I think it's challenging language um, and it's definitely trying to pick the lesser of two evils. Um, but I think in the long term, um, not allowing a direct copy of a historic style is more beneficial to the historic district. And it doesn't prohibit forms that are reflective of the district. And in fact, that's what we talk about um, in the overall guidelines is, is trying to be reflective of the district. Um, so with that clarification, which I think constitutes 95 or 98 percent of the comments that we have received on this, um, I'm happy to turn this back over to um, any questions you might have. Okay, thank you. Sarah, can I ask you a question? I know, uh, uh, or legal counsel, this is a review and comment. Yes. So do we... I know that we got a lot of written comments and, and I've read them and I read the e-comments that came in, but and, and are there people who want to say something who do we, maybe it's the city clerk, is, is anybody called in who wants to say anything or is yes. it appropriate to ask? We will, yes, we will take public comment and I think this would be a good time to do it before we open it up on our end. Thank you, Madam Chair. I have one um, person to make comment, William Berg. Hello, this is William Berg, President of the Board of Directors of Preservation Sacramento. And uh, our letter, which we sent today, asks the commission to direct staff as, as part of your recommendations to remove this prohibition on historic styles. If you're silent on this subject, it is allowed. So allow it. The issue of of our age is not there's too much false historicism in historic districts. It's it, that are, there's not enough housing in our cities. And the regulation we're talking about, SB 330, it says you, you have to create objective design standards. That is measurable, concrete design standards. Historic styles are interpretive. They are a matter of opinion. And so this creates a risk that staff will reject a perfectly good design that meets all the criteria because, oh, it looks too much like a, a mid-century modern building, or it looks too much like a Queen Anne. And that violates both the letter and the spirit of state law. It does not belong in a list of objective design criteria. Um, another element, and with all due respect to our design director, but the idea that buildings should be reflective of their time and things like this, again, these are statements of opinion about architecture and there's a lot of opinion in architecture there are many preservationists who say that buildings in historic districts should like the look like the other historic buildings uh, i 
I don't necessarily hold this opinion. I think if it meets the, the the basic criteria of form and style, of the general height and zoning and massing, and some of the other recommendations on this objective criteria list are very good. But calling out and prohibiting historic styles, but still somehow expecting them to fit in the historic district, it doesn't make any sense. It's not really a logical thing to include. It's a broad, it's an overly broad and highly restrictive prohibition. And like I said, I believe it violates state law to put it in there. So I, my recommendation for the Preservation Commission, I really would like you to remove it. There have been several other comments, both by email and e-comment. Hopefully you've had a chance to see them, uh, including some people who had examples of how, the, 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 how this uh, affected projects they did. And so there's, there's no reason for this prohibition it doesn't serve the purpose of SB 330, and it doesn't really belong in our historic district plans either. I'm sorry that it got slipped in there, but I think that I, I, I fear that uh, people are making out false historicism to be some sort of great crime or great evil, and it's really not. It's a minor matter, and it's not really historic districts. The word districts don't even appear in the Secretary of, History, uh, Secretary of the Interior standards. So... Just take it out. It's that simple. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. I have no more speakers. Okay, thank you. And again, for the commission, this is review and comments. So uh, the staff is looking for our uh, comments on uh, this document, and it will then be uh, edited with, um, and discussed, and then we'll go to city council for approval. So. This is um, this is the chance to make those comments, and uh, it will move on from here. Um, so, with that, I will um, think this. It, it looks, uh, you know, it's certainly from where I think we last saw it in the spring. Um, this is really looking like uh, the document I think we were picturing, uh, and understand that this will become this checklist as well and so these statements will turn into questions that will be this yes no um you know or not applicable uh boxes to check and so that's where this is going but that this amendment will be um what someone will be able to take and use in historic districts uh and so i i think we definitely should discuss this um this comment that has come up on uh, the copying. And I thank you, Bruce, for the, uh, the definitions in the back. I do think that they're helpful for someone who doesn't uh, know this. And I will put out one, one thought to the commission and then I'd like to hear everyone's thoughts. But uh, part of, I think the issue is copy uh, doesn't have a definition. And so part of the concern is what does copy mean? Uh, and one of the definitions is that is listed is replicate, which is defined as to reproduce in exact detail materials and finish uh, unless otherwise indicated. And I think that when we're talking about copying, uh, because we, of course, we have uh, parameters on massing and all of these other pieces that we do want them to follow. Uh, the scale of the historic district. And so, but what we're not looking for is, again, this um, exact replica. And so one, uh, there's certainly, do we need this sentence? And then a, a, 
a second question would be, could we change the word copy to perhaps replicate, which really is about reproducing exact details rather than um, kind of leaving copy up to a bigger question. So I will open it up to the commission for any comments um, on the document. Um, yeah. I don't, I'll let anybody else speak first because I tend to speak too long. So should I start or? I don't, I don't see anyone else. Okay. Um, all right, I'm, I'm going to jump in. Um, first, I, I agree with you, um, Chair Villania, that copy is not a great word to use because what, what does that mean? Um, so if it were to continue to be in here, it should be, you know, better, to, much better defined um, and maybe replicate in exact detail, uh, you know, would be a good, uh, would be, you know, better language. But I do have just kind of a question, Bruce, um, first, and, you know, dealing with this issue, I have some other ish questions as well. But with this issue, why does this sentence, new construction may not copy historic architectural styles, why does it only appear for alley facing infill and it doesn't appear either in, you know, additions or detached and attached secondary dwelling units or more significantly new infill construction? Um, is it okay to copy it in those sections or is that an oversight? Um, I'm going to, I say admit, it, I believe it's an oversight. So in reviewing the, the comments that had come through and then re-reviewing all of the sections through here, um, today I, I raised the question to myself, why is this only here? Because the intent throughout the historic district plan was to be talking about any new construction and any condition and whether that was an addition, a secondary dwelling unit, uh, an alley infill or a new structure on an empty lot facing a, a street. And um, whatever resolution the commission would like to put forward here, it should be consistent in all potential applications. Um, and so at, at suggestion or direction of commission, um, we can remove it from 31.3, or we can make sure that it's a consistent statement for any new construction, um, regardless of the position. Okay. And so, so it's, it's either everywhere or nowhere. Yes. Yeah. Because okay. the intent is to, to, um, give us an attempt to control this idea of creating exact replicas. And I do appreciate the word replica. I think it's much better than, than copy. Um, because if that's not something the Secretary of Interior's standards suggest happens in from a historic perspective, um, if we don't prohibit it, it could happen. And I, I think that would be contrary to what we do want. Um, so replication, which creates a false historicism, was the intent of staff to uh, make sure we had some control over relative to um, how a project might get built. Okay, now, 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 thank you, Bruce. Now I have a question for the preservation architects. Um, 
additions and accessory buildings for contributing resources. Um, uh, if a building is a, is a landmark building, and if you do an addition to a building, it seems most of these checklist standards that are listed there you know, are very objective in terms of saying how, you know, you don't do things to the primary facade, you don't obscure character defining features. Um, but my question is, is if, and it says alterations and additions shall not be located, shall be located in areas not visible to the public from the street, then does it make any difference in terms of whether a building now doesn't have integrity or not? whether you do something that matches or replicates the rest of the style of the building, but it doesn't change the front facade. It doesn't, you know, from the public, it's not doing that, but somebody has added something in the back that now, yes, they actually use materials like the original building did, um, but it's in, you know, it's not visible from the street, but the person living in the building you know, rather than seeing, you know, a modern glass box sticking out the back, like, you know, they do in San Francisco a lot. If, why does it make, would it impact, say we're going down the road, you know, a couple years from now when we have another developer say, hey, that building no longer has integrity because you, you, you did this to it so you can do something to it. Does it make a difference whether you have, you have, uh, if you've given it a false sense of historicism, does that make, is that better, worse, does it matter? Versus you've done something that's not, you know, is clearly of its own time. So, because that would be my, you know, my concern in terms of whatever we kind of allow through this fast paced setting. And I, I really appreciate the fact that you know, we have a really good set of historic district guidelines. So if somebody doesn't want to do the fast pace, you know, these kinds of things, every project has its, you know, there is no blanket thing that works. You know, it's best if somebody takes the time, if you have a landmark building to do it correctly and discuss things with, you know, the specifics with, you know, with the urban design uh, staff. And, um, but if they want to go the fast pace, how will it impact, does, does it, is it better or worse for meeting that word of integrity in the future if you kept, you know, if you kept it pure that this is an addition, providing you meet all these other conditions here that I'm not doing it on the front facade, I'm not affecting character defining features on the front public facade, what does it matter? You know to to whether something could get delisted today would it would it matter i'm not sure i follow completely but the intent of these guidelines as well as the secretary of the interior standards is to maintain integrity on uh the property uh with an addition that is the intent of all of this is that that the contributing resource would uh, would maintain integrity. That all of these uh, guidelines are with that as the intent. The goal of all of this is that that would remain a contributing uh, resource to the district. 
I realize that, but you can't say flat out, like it's not black or white, whether if you chose to uh, replicate or you chose to do some, you know, something that's completely different of its own time, that's not affecting the primary public facade, not affecting character defining features, whether it makes, you just can't do a blanket rule. It's kind of like a, it depends, right? On, right? So, or maybe there's no answer, maybe there's no answer on that. So, um, because there's a part of me that, that feels that I think the, the, the argument that Preservation Sacramento is making, I think is, is a valid one. And um, if I had my druthers, if it was to be everywhere or nowhere, I would, take, I would take that out. I would take it out of where it is. Um, so, um, and I guess if something is not a contributing structure, of course, none of this really, uh, really particularly uh, matters because I know that there are additions that have been, I know, I know architects who have done additions in Land Park and in East Sacramento and uh, Curtis Park, where the owners have have very much, it was very important to them that not so much a, a separate building, but in additions, that that they match the building that they that they had. And I know those are not, you know, they're not those are not landmarks in in except for isolated ones in you know in those areas. We don't have any historic districts there yet. But um, I know there are people who own properties, historic buildings, who do want to, who do want to, you know, and sometimes they're not major additions, but they want to do change, you know, changes that are in, uh, in uh, sympathy with the existing style of the building. And so, um, and I do think it starts to get subjective, either when you say replicate in extreme detail. I mean, are you, I guess, Bruce, would all of these come to you then? Or would you have a planner? This, the intent of this, of this list, I thought, and a lot of where the city is going is, is that you get such guidelines in there that frontline staff can, hopefully can, can do more of this work directly. But if you start to get into, I'm, I'm not going to allow you to add, you know, this bathroom or this room to the back of your house, because I don't think it, you're replicating something in it, and, and it shouldn't. I, I don't think that that should be preclu you know, precluded, you know, at, at any other level than somebody like you, Bruce, who who I would say, yes, they understand what that means. And so anyway, so, so I, I'm leaning on the side and I know we're not taking a vote tonight of a group, but my view is, is that that item should be taken out where it is, recognizing that it is still in the historic district guidelines, you know, the whole concepts and the importance of that when somebody goes through the whole process where they can speak, you know, they can discuss those things, but if it's, just flat up or down, I, I'm, I, 
um, you know, I agree with uh, with the points that Preservation Sacramento has raised. So um, that's 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 how, that's how I'm I'm feeling feeling about that. And you know, yeah. with say, you know, with saying that, Bruce. I mean, this is a. I mean, I think you know, this is a great job. I mean, you know, so I'm not saying you know it's as good. You know, I think it's great work. You know, and um, so that's. But, uh, if I can give you a response on, on, on both, I think, your thoughts. Um, we have processed, I think, six um, uh, ministerial housing applications through the city, and we're using the existing ministerial housing checklist for that. And as we go through that checklist, we find language which raises the question of did somebody comply based on the, what this language says? And, you know, with our, our, our desire to be black and white um, in our language, it, it turns out that that's, that's a much higher bar than perhaps, you know, one anticipates. And so the, the, the response is that the, the senior and the planner working on that project gets together with me and we talk about the particular project response and, how we're saying yes or no to that. Um, and then that question or that statement goes on our list of, does this need further clarification? And there was that expectation when we started that we wouldn't get it 100% right just because of the, the fuzziness of, of it all, if you will. So I would expect if, if we do get a, SB 35 application in a historic district, we're still going to end up with a question of what did you mean by this and is this compliant? And my expectation is that um, Sean and myself are still working with the planner as we're going through that checklist. So that being said, um, I, I'm persuaded um, by something that, that Mr. Perk said. And it wasn't so much about it's it's you know we don't need to prohibit architectural styles in this checklist, but that the word copy may not probably doesn't I would agree it doesn't um, meet this definition of clearly understandable prior to submission of the project. So, and I like the word replication, but. It may be that we're um, trying to, to provide for some control um, that a need doesn't really exist. In other words, it's a solution in you know, search of a particular need. And since it's only in this one spot at um, 31.3, I would not object to um, the commission asking for that line to be removed because given the totality of the document, um, I think it's good control for an SB 35 project. And knowing that if it's not an SB 35 project, we have the historic district plan, which gives us the flexibility to work through these solutions. So I, I will leave it there um, for the direction from commission. Great, thank you. Do we have any other commissioners? that would like to weigh in on that, uh, to remove 31, 
dash three or uh, any other pieces of this? I, I had a couple other small things. Uh -huh. um, it says um, that it you must comply with the standards set forth in the following pages. When it comply does mean that it's either yes or not applicable, right? It's it's also because there are things that just aren't applicable. So within the thing of comply, that means it includes not applicable, not applicable, right? Bruce? That, that's correct. Essentially, the way the process works is you have to check every box yes no matter what it is because there's an original set of qualifying conditions under sb35 and that's part of the application and every one of those has to be you know checked in 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 the affirmative whether it's a yes or a no it has to be an affirmative um and then when you go through the design standards every one of them has to be checked yes and if there is something no the applicant has the opportunity to adjust the design in order to get a yes. Um, so that is the process. Um, if we find it's not in compliance and any one of the things within our application or checklist, um, then we can either say the project doesn't comply and reject it, or the applicant has the opportunity in a short period of time to make a correction so that it is fully compliant. And this will be in addition to that existing process, so it will work in the same manner. Okay, but so not applicable doesn't really, doesn't come into it. I mean, the, the fact that you have different sections, yeah. and maybe I'm overthinking this thing, you know, if, so, if you're not raising a building, the standard of rate, you don't have the check, they won't be given that section of the checklist where they have yeah, to write. That's right. It's, it, it, it's simply, it's not, it, it's something that doesn't need a yes or no to because it just doesn't apply. It's not part right. of it. So they only do the checklist for the thing that falls into their, their, yeah. their, their area. So, okay. And then I know we had comments that came in on the earlier ver version. Ifs, you know, ifs, you know, I agree that Preservation Sacramento read it very quickly over the weekend, but before it goes to council, like if there are people who, who want to comment, how, they can still submit something to the city council, right? I'm, oh, yes. you know, yeah. so. And so the, would you have some idea of when this would be going to the city council? How quickly? Uh, you know, uh, Sean, we don't have a date on this, do we? No, not yet. Um, I can foresee it going in uh, early October. Okay, because what, what I would like to do, you know, um, is make certain that I know the AIA Central Valley chapter did submit comments on the first one. At least uh, there was a small group who did. So I'd like yeah. to make certain that this gets to them and that right. just so that they can close the loop, you know, that uh, they, you know, they saw, they saw, because they did make a, you know, an, a real effort to, to read the earlier draft and submitted comments. So um, just, just a bit of history there. We took every comment received from either individuals or, um, organizations or, or groups, stakeholders, and went through every one of those and, and first classified them as um, able to include because it was something that wasn't considered and was objective or could be made objective um, or was outside the scope of work and couldn't be considered but should be considered in the future because it was a newer, higher standard 
than what we already have within the HTP. And, oh, yeah. and we're not allowed to create a higher standard. Um, right. and, and then um, the last um, was that it, it simply wasn't objective. It was noted, couldn't be included. And so that's, that's all background to all of the material. So there's absolutely no reason why this can't go back out to be notified back out to stakeholders. Um, but that was the process on how we got to this final draft and that and comments from commission. Okay. And um, I, th I, I do think that there is, you know, there is one section in public right away that I think a not was left out. And I just want to make certain I was reading this right. It's, it's 30-10 in public right of way site elements. It says new hitching posts, upping stones or other elements that are not original to the property are allowed. I think you mean are not allowed. That, that right? should be as an are not. So that's. Yeah, well, again, we don't want to add something that wasn't there in if it's existing um, to preserve it um, is appropriate. Um, if it's not uh, uh, original to it, we don't want to create something right. that wasn't there. Thank you. We'll right. definitely look at that. And and there was somewhere in here, and I can't remember where it was. There was something about driveways. Um, something somewhere in here it says something about that if a driveway has been cut through something, it might have been up. I don't know where it is, but if you could just take a look at the driveway thing, it's, it's somewhere in here. There was somewhere in he, in the document where it says something about driveways. I understand you can't do new curb cuts on 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 like lettered yes. streets, but there was some other place where it said something about driveways that is just kind of um, it's escaping me now. And and then there was a section in two of the sec two of the ones that are commercial where it says awnings will be on all the frontages. And I guess this is probably something in the historic district plan. But I'm curious, even on the north side of a building, you're going, we require in the historic district plan, I, guess, I think it's in C, in uh, the C Street one, that you put awnings, even if a building faces north, you're going to put an awning on it, I guess. But again, that's probably out of the historic district plan, right? Yes, it is. Everything came from the historic district plan. Yeah. And if we thought it was important and or was and as you talk about individual districts, those were part of character defining features of the right. district and elements that were seen there. And yeah. the, it, that could be made objective and therefore it was brought forward into okay. this document. Yeah. That's, 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 that's fine. Yeah, there's nothing new created in this document that is not reflected in the historic district plan. <laughs> there is a lot less in this document that is in the HDP. Right, right, right. Because if you can't check everything off here, correct, you've got to go there. So this is pretty, you know, it also is pretty strict. I mean, which it should, which it should be. So, okay, that's all the comments I have. But thank you for doing this. It's a right. lot of work. Well, you're, I've taken notes on your comments, um, and I will get together with the director Corsi, and we will go back through this document check these items and make what other changes others have. Right, right. Okay. All right.
Thank, Thank you. you. So I think it. I I think we are. Uh, unless any other commissioners would like to weigh in, but I think we've come around to removing the uh, the uh, complete statement on new construction may not copy historic architectural styles. Um, I think rather than rewriting it and adding it to all the other uh, portions, uh, I think I'm. Uh, I would be in favor of just removing that statement and uh, letting the narrative and other pieces in here help someone come to a, come to a design that that is compatible. Does does do any other commissioners have comments on that? I agree with that approach. Thank you. Okay, so if. We have no other comments. Uh, we will close this item. Thank you, Chair Valenti and, and commissioners. We will adjust this as suggested. Thank you. Okay, so we will move on to public comments matters not on the agenda. So again, please raise your hand if you would like to speak on this. So Madam Chair, I have no one requesting to speak on this item. Okay, great, thank you. So we'll move on to commissioner comments, ideas, questions, meeting and conference reports. Do any commissioners have anything they'd like to share? Okay. Uh, we uh, Commissioner Whitelum and I sat in on a, uh, there's a AIA California series going on right now called How We House, and AIA uh, Orange County presented a couple of weeks ago, which was really interesting, and AIA Central Valley Chapter will be presenting, um, there's kind of one a month for the next four, three months, uh, so that is available, the previous is reporting is available on the AIA California website and uh, you can look at the uh, upcoming ones on there as well but very interesting conversations about uh, how different regions are handling the housing uh, crisis and different ways to look at um, uh, putting additional density on uh, properties and um, similar kind of approaches so really an interesting um, idea sharing uh, platform. So it's the only thing I have. Um, if I could, Chair Bologna, I'd just like to uh, remind yourself and Chair Whitelum and all the other commissioners, if you attend trainings like that, if you could just send me a quick email, let me know. I'll make note of it so we can include it in our CLG annual report. That would be uh, extremely helpful. Will do. Will do. Okay. So if there aren't any other commissioner comments, we'll move on to the director's report. Terrific, thank you. Okay, so we um, have not had a meeting in, in several months, so we do have, um, I have several items for the director's report that I'm, that I'm uh, glad to share with you. The, so first I wanna talk a little bit about our, our staffing and the preservation uh, department. And so we have two interns helping out with with preservation right now. These are both Sacramento State public history students who um, have been a great help both. We've, we've had them um, working on design review projects for 
in historic districts and on landmarks, but we've also had them working on some of these landmark nominations, as I mentioned in my presentation. Uh, Lena Filber helped me with the, uh, with the Beehive nomination, and the other intern's name is Caitlin Grebe, um, who've been with us for several months now and have been a, a great help to the department as I've come on board. Um, we are also seeking to fill my former position, so we should be interviewing planners in the next several um, months, hopefully, to, uh, to fill that position. So we're, we're certainly prioritizing that. And then Director Anderson's uh, retired annuitant status is, being, is in process, so we do not have a date certain when that will be approved, but that is, uh, that is working forward, and his primary role will be uh, managing the grants, which I'm going to talk about next. So we have three active grants that we're processing as a department right now. Um, so the first, you're, um, I believe you're aware of, is our CLG Preservation Outreach and Public Relations Grant. We've selected a consultant, good size, and they have several um, subcontractors. They, it's a relatively small certified local government grant um, from the federal government passed through the State Office of Historic Preservation for uh, $21,000. They are they're working on, um, on the deliverables as part of that project. So that grant needs to wrap up relatively quickly. And the, the deadline, I believe, for the final request for reimbursement from the state is in uh, the end of next month. So we expect that to be our push for the next month or so to really get that, those, uh, those products put together. Um, so it's, it's turning out to be an exciting project and we'll hopefully bring back for the next director's report a more uh, detailed um, discussion of, of where we are on that project. So the next grant we're working on is a, also a certified local government grant. And this is actually to host a commissioner training. So I'd like you to all mark your calendars for October 21st and 22nd. I'll also be sending out a save the date so that we can uh, get it on your calendars. So if you've never attended uh, a, a training by the National Alliance for Preservation Commissioners, this will be your opportunity. This is an excellent, uh, this is an excellent organization that actually uh, awarded, it's a national organization that awarded the historic district plans a, a national award, but they, their primary role or one of their primary roles is to conduct commissioner trainings throughout the state. So they, they um, select professionals in, in historic preservation and architecture and um, rules of procedure and legal standards. And they train them on how to be uh, good trainers. And then they will work with local governments or the state to, to conduct these trainings. Um, that's a $10,000 grant to host the training. It's going to be online. And like I mentioned, it's a two-day training. So October 21st and 22nd. Um, and again, I'll send out a notice. I'll send out an email reminder so it uh, saves a date on your calendars and you can check for any conflicts. And then finally, you may have seen um, in the Sacramento Bee or the Sacramento Observer newspaper um, or this the city's blog that it publishes, that the city was recently awarded a grant from the National Trust for Historic Preservation as part of their African-American Cultural Heritage Action Fund 
which is a federal uh, funded grant program that focuses on African-American cultural heritage and history. And it's the projects can range from anything from brick and mortar to planning projects to studies. Um, and in this case, our grant application was one, uh, well, it was, was one of it was 50, they selected 50 recipients out of 500 initial applicants. So we were extremely uh, fortunate to be selected for this, for this highly competitive grant. And the project is to prepare a thematic historic context and limited historic resources survey to identify significant people, cultural history, and places associated with the African-American experience in Sacramento from the city's early history through its recent past. Um, we were awarded $50,000, which is um, a decent amount of money. It's a, the biggest grant we're working on right now. But um, we have a long list of, of priorities that we want to accomplish with this. And one of the ways we're going to sort of bridge the gap between the $50,000 and what we're hoping to accomplish is we're, we've been working actively to partner with Sacramento State. So they are, have coordinated um, four classes, I believe, but mostly graduate level, but some undergraduate level courses to participate in the grant project to help with certain aspects of it. So between those four classes, that's um, you know at least at least fifty students or so. To uh, the, the graduate classes are somewhat smaller, but um, to assist with the project. So we're that's the first thing we're working on is coordinating with the the faculty at Sacramento State to work the grant uh, parts into their curriculum, and so we'll get those students going in the fall semester on parts of the project. And then there are several classes in the spring that will also help with this project. So um, it's a year long grant. And so this is the first step um, to getting it uh, off the ground. We should have the grant contract from the National Trust. Um, I'm hoping to have it executed by the end of the month, but we'll see um, somewhat depends on, on the National Trust and their, and their schedule, but we're, we're getting that started and it's an exciting uh, project. And there's a lot of community interest as well. So we've been getting um, inquiries from, uh, like I said, the Sacramento Bee. We spoke to a uh, radio, I spoke to a radio station at, uh, out of the Bay Area that's excited about the project. I spoke to give an interview to the Sacramento Observer newspaper that will be, run, if they haven't run it uh, yet, they'll be running an article about it soon. They're very excited about the project. And, um, so it's an exciting opportunity. The next uh, item I wanted to talk to you about is in September, on September 14th, so next month, we have three Mills Act contracts be, being recommended to the city council for approval. So the first is of 1500 F Street. You may know this building on the corner of 15th and F. It's uh, the big white building. It's a prominent historic landmark in the Old Washington School Historic District. It was recently uh, part of a project that elevated it and, and converted the building into a, a duplex. And it's, it's being recommended as a, as a Mills Act contract recipient. And then at 2222nd Street, um, this is the Joan Didion House in Poverty Ridge. So you may be familiar with, with that building. The, um, and then the final grant, uh, the final uh, Mills Act contract recipient that we're recommending is for 3135 D Street or the Guisto family residence in East Sacramento. 
You may recall this property. It's a Queen Anne building in East Sacramento at uh, 31st and D Street, uh, sort of mid-block, that your commission heard several months ago as a landmark nomination, and it was recommended to city council who then subsequently approved it as a landmark in East Sacramento. And the property owner has then come in and applied for a Mills Act that we're recommending uh, in September. So we're pretty excited about that. And then finally, the last item I wanted to note is that this Saturday is the preservation roundtable. So I'll be giving a, a brief discussion of the, the landmark per, landmark proposals that you reviewed tonight, along with these other items that are on the director's report. Um, and I'll be uh, sharing those out with the larger preservation community at that event. So with that, that concludes my director's report for this evening. Thank you. Uh, okay, with that, we'll uh, thank Director DeCourcy for our first meeting and um, we will adjourn. Have a good night, everyone. Good night.